Morning, everyone. By way of introduction, I had hoped to finish my message last night, but I started again at 8.30. They say that the waste paper basket is a preacher's best friend. I hate it. I hate the waste paper basket with a passion. I don't like having to throw away something I've been working on. And, um, and this morning, I aimed to have it all on my iPad nice and neat like I usually do, but the battery was completely dead. Flat, so I thought I'd print it out, um, but the printer was out of ink. So I had to get the ink and I put it into the printer and it didn't recognise it. So I pulled it out and put it back in again and again it didn't recognise it. So I pulled it out and I persuaded it to go back in properly. And I finally recognised it. Halfway through, it ran out of paper. <laughs> in the meanwhile, still hoping and praying that the iPad would actually charge, which was really good. And then I realised that I could, actually, I could actually charge it in the car. How good's that? So I got into the car and I, and I plugged it into uh, the charger there. And, and I got here and it actually drained the battery instead of charging it. So <laughs> thankfully I do have it on backup. So, so there's a lot that goes into hope, but we can have a false hope in believing that we can be prepared. But we know that the Lord is gracious and we know that he is... Um, he is the source of our hope, ultimately. Let's, let's open a word of prayer and we'll get into our study this morning. Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your love and your mercy and your grace, your goodness to us, dear Lord, your blessing that you provide for us, dear Lord, for this church family. And we pray, dear Father, that we would grow through the knowledge of your word, that we would not only grow, but we would bloom, that we would blossom, that we would share the truth of God's word, and that we would have our ultimate hope founded in you, the one who has secured everything for us. I ask you, dear Lord, that you would be with me this morning, be with the words, dear Lord, that are preached, and let the word of God, dear Father, permeate within our spirit. I pray, dear Father, for your hand upon us now, in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Romans chapter 8 is where we're continuing our study this morning. Romans chapter 8, I know I've said this before, but it's the high point. It's noted as the high point of Scripture. It's, uh, especially within the New Testament, it gives a complete foundation for the Gospel. It lays out our salvation in such clear terms, and it brings out so many incredible doctrines. And even during times of despair and trouble, turn to Romans chapter 8. So we think of Romans as a high point of Scripture and you'd look at chapter 8 as the pinnacle of Mount Everest. It's the very point of it and it's a wonderful joy. And we'll just take our text. We're going to be looking at just two verses. Verse 24 of chapter 8 and 25. The text here says, For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Wonderful text. Before that particular text, you've got from verse 18, which was spoken about last time, and it spoke about sufferings. That's the first point this morning, that sufferings kindle hope for those that know Christ. And you have to take that lesson from the text because it's referring to those who are in Christ. For we are saved by hope. So it's speaking specifically of that hope of eternal life. 
that Jesus Christ has secured for us. And the first part of it was that we, 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 the sufferings kindle hope. In verse 18 it says, For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So we know that sufferings have a role to play in our hope. They remind us. They remind us of that wonderful truth that we have and that wonderful hope that we can hold on to. And hope is very closely linked to faith. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. We'll just read a portion of text and we can see something in that text that tells us how the difficulties that we go through and the difficulties that other people go through can actually help us rejoice. Remember last time we spoke and we actually gave a couple of um, examples of individuals that have suffered and suffered tremendously. They've suffered for their faith. They're willing to die for their faith. We, we spoke on some of those terrible scenes where people are being devoured by beasts, set alight, all these sort of things. See, they understood that this was for their benefit, that they may obtain to a better resurrection. It's crazy thinking that that's possible. And yet that's what they believed. So in Hebrews chapter 11, we're not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to take it from verse 32, where he... He culminates this, this, this uh, chapter of faith in Hebrews 11, verse 32. He says, But what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, and of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the, to- the, edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. So we see that many suffered, yet that through the promise of God, they had hope. Not accepting deliverance, they said. Not accepting deliverance. They had hope. And if you had just have a look back at the very first verse of that chapter, chapter 11, just that first verse, and he says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good report. And then he goes into that wonderful treatise that we have on faith. It is what? It's the substance. It's the very substance of things hoped for. So we've got an example just here of the link between faith and hope. And we can see that hope is kindled through sufferings. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into, his, into this grace wherein we stand. 
and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. It's amazing how often you see hope and you see the words rejoice and joy linked together with hope. There's something about hope that we can rejoice in and we can have joy in. But he goes on, he says, not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So you note there, note there that, that hope is the end goal. Hope is the end goal. So we have that tribulations that work patience, and patience experience, and experience Hope. And the scripture's not absent in this as well. We've got, we've got this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where Paul is referring to the, the church of Macedonia, and he says, How that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. So it's even through their own affliction. James speaks about it in, in his first chapter. He says, Remember that, that really strange passage? You look at it and you think, What? My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect, entire, wanting nothing. What's the perfect work of patience? We just read, it's hope. It's hope. The perfect work of patience is hope. These diverse temptations are to be counted all joy. But not only so, they they work that perfect work that in itself makes us entire wanting nothing. There's nothing else that I can want in this life. I have hope. What What do I have hope in? Well, I don't have hope that I'm going to be able to finish my sermons on time. But I have hope in what Christ has secured for me. That eternity that I'm there looking, looking forward to. That's my hope. Knowing the tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. There's something about sufferings that finds itself kindling hope in those that are Christ's. James doesn't stop at verse 2 and 3 of his first chapter. He says in chapter 12, he says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So not only do we find hope kindled, but we also find a reward through that suffering. A reward that's going to be our lot. Guys, this isn't wishful thinking. This isn't wishful thinking. I know that there's, there's people out there that says, you know, you're not going to receive a reward for the suffering in this life. I've heard scientists say that when they're teaching evolution. There's, there's no end. When it comes to the end of this life, there's nothing. If there's nothing, then what do we hope for? If there's nothing at the end of this life, what hope have we ultimately got? This isn't wishful thinking. This is, this is the hope that Scripture teaches us that is eternal, that is secured in heaven for us. A second point is that the text there says we are saved by hope. Saved by hope. Mate, if there's anything that gave me more trouble yesterday, it was this first portion of the text. We are saved by hope. I struggled with it. I struggled with it because I know that we're saved 
by faith. What is the text saying that we are saved by hope? We're saved by hope. So, so I go through and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about the scriptures and what it's teaching and, and, and I'm really trying to find these links between faith and hope and, and is there a link? And, and I found them and I'll bring those out for you so you can have a look at it for yourself. But then, you know, when you're stuck as a preacher, what do you do? You go to your library, you know. And you, and you go and find what, what, you, what the preachers that you know are the most godly, the, 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 the ones that know the Word of God, the ones that teach the Word of God, the ones that you actually you know, get edified yourself out of. You know what I mean? I didn't Google it. Didn't Google. Right? I've got a li- I don't trust Google. I've got a library of books, that, and I went through those. But they didn't help. They didn't help. Um... Most of them actually says that this is wrong. It's wrong. You're saved by hope. We're saved by faith. It's wrong. It's wrong. They didn't have a problem with the word saved. They recognise that the word saved there doesn't refer to something physical. It doesn't refer to something emotional. They recognise that that was referring to that which is eternal, as per the context. So they got that right. They got stuck on the conjunction. By. Let me saved by hope. They hated that conjunction. Matter of fact, they loathe it, you know, and so much so that there's not a modern Bible version today that has by, saved by hope. They've all changed it. They've all changed it and they've changed it to in, in hope, saved in hope. Saved in hope didn't really make too much sense, so they had to add a pronoun to it. So they put in this hope, saved in this hope. So it doesn't matter whether you look at the New King James Version, the NIV, the ESV, the NASB, the Good News Bible, the Living Bible, whichever one you want to, it has something along the lines of saved in this hope. The only problem is (coughs) that the word in doesn't appear in the Greek. It's N in Greek, the clear one. It's not there. Uh, And this isn't there either. The pronoun doesn't exist there either. So they've created it, they've made it up to help it make a little bit more sense. But in this hope now refers to we are saved somehow by our adoption. You know, have a look at the text before that. That's what they're looking at because this refers to, is a pronoun, right? Refers to that which went before. They completely made no sense of the text. We're saved by hope. And of course, you know, I, I believe that every word's there and every word's there for a purpose and I won't change a single word of the text. So I knew that that was wrong. And I believed it was wrong. But, mate, I tell you, I was turning everything upside down yesterday trying to bring it out. And it just, that's why I ended up just throwing it around. You know when you go to, you know when you cook a meal and you, you cook a meal and you, you bring out the meal, yeah? But you don't bring out all the ingredients and the pots and pans and show how you've made it. Well, I've got all those ingredients and I've got the pots and pans. So if there's anybody that's interested to understand how I got to this point, you'll be able to have a look at that. But I'm not going to bring it out here. So I want to bring out the similarities. Why, are there, why is it saved by hope? What's the similarities between hope and saved by... How are we saved? Saved by faith. Saved by grace through faith. Well, there's a similarity. The similarity, the first one is hope is ignited by faith. So you can't have hope without faith. Hope is ignited by faith. The hope to dwell there must first be faith which hope has as its end. We must first believe some good end to be true 
before we can have that practical hope that we will attain to it. Okay, therefore you can't have hope without faith, can you? I'll bring that out a little bit more. The two, the two are also, they are both sustained and increased by prayer. Both of them are sustained and increased by prayer. Just as prayer is the vehicle through which God gives greater faith, as our faith grows, so too does our hope. You know, my faith in God's promises sustains me. My faith in God's promises in the scripture that what he says is true fills me with hope. You know, when we go to prayer and, and when we pray, and as Pastor Frank mentioned last week, when, when we exalt God and we lift him up, we're reminded of his power, that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Next, we're reminded of his promises, that he came to seek and to save that which is lost. We're reminded of his patience, his long-suffering toward us, you know. And he is patience, patient. We're reminded of his perseverance, his perseverance with us, you know. His perseverance also with us. We remember that portion where the Lord was was in, in, in the flesh and in there before his, before his disciples and says, oh, how long should I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? There is a perseverance to God and he perseveres with us. But it also reminds us of his preservation of us. So I know in whom I believed and I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him until that day. It's his, pers- his preservation of me. So... When we pray, we are reminded of God's, well, we're reminded of his power, his promises, his patience, his perseverance, his preservation. But we're also reminded of our own shortcomings. So when you pray, you have to have an element of self-examination. It sort of reminds you that your only hope is in Jesus. Your only hope is in Jesus Christ. It reminds you, when you deeply look at your own self and you realise your own shortcomings and your own failures, you know that it's in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone that I have all my faith, all my hope and all my faith is where that's placed. So, so we're reminded that and we, we think that, that faith and hope is sustained by prayer. Then notice something, it's sustained and increased by prayer. If it's increased by prayer, there's another link. That both faith and hope are a gift of God. They both come from the Lord. The next one is that they're a motivator of life. They're a very, hope is the very motivation to life. The very motivation to life. Even in a practical way. <coughs> a student is looking towards graduating. Yeah? They have hope that they're going to graduate. A business person has hope to succeed. A salesman to sell. A doctor to heal. A soldier against an enemy. A Christian in his work and service towards God. We have hope. In a very practical level, we live our lives with hope. No matter what the endeavour is, <clears throat> hope is that which energises you. It energises you. Because you believe it that you're going to attain it by faith. See, we believe we're going to have that end. How do we believe that? We believe it by faith. Now, there is a false hope. There is a false hope. You can have a false hope. Um, 
you know, a false hope is usually, I'll tell you how false hope is usually realised. It's usually realised by what we call midlife crisis. A false hope is realised by midlife crisis. It means that you have put your ladder of success against a wall and you've desired to climb it, believing by faith you will reach whatever end it is that you set for yourself. So you begin to climb and you will endure much. You will endure mockings. You will endure trial. You will endure the difficulties that attains to it. You're going to have to start again and then you're going to climb again. Get it to the next one. I will achieve what I set for myself to achieve. And you'll climb that ladder one rung after another. You'll slip back three, but you will persevere and you'll pull yourself through. And then you get to your 40s and you get to the top of the ladder and you look around and you realise it's been leaning on the wrong wall. And you have a midlife crisis because you realise I have spent decades climbing this ladder and it's in the wrong place I was that man trying to climb this ladder and, and I had this false philosophy in my head as well it was something that I used to, to help propel me to get to the next rung doesn't matter what the shortfalls were I had a, a phrased philosophy within my mind and it was this to make my family number one I need to make my business number one Make my family number one, I make my business number one. I believe that so much I taught it. Do you know there's no greater grief than when you teach it to somebody that you love and they believe it, they follow it, and then they remind you of it years later when you've learnt that that's false. It's nothing worse than that. To be told by a person that you love, yeah, I know that I've got to make my business number one to make my family number one. That happened to me. And I just looked at him and I wanted to cry. I said, it's not true. I told you that. You might not even remember that I told you that, but I told you that. It's false. I believed a lie. I believed a lie. Now at this point, if you survive the ordeal, if you survive the fall down to the ground, realising that now you've got to start again, if you survive that... If you survive that, and many people don't survive that, many people don't, but if you survive that and you don't become bitter and you don't become envious, you're going to set up some other ladders, shorter ones. You're going to maybe look at the financial aspects in your life or maybe you might start dabbling in some spiritual entities, especially if you've already rejected Christ. If you've rejected the truth, the actual source of all hope, if you've rejected that as your foundation, you're going to be looking elsewhere. So you're going to be setting up your little ladders. You're going to try this one and that one doesn't work. You're going to try this one, but that one doesn't work. You're going to try this one, but that one doesn't work. You're going to be trying one after the other, looking for something that's going to actually fulfil you. And some people spend their lives that way. They spend their lives like hummingbirds in a garden filled with fake flowers. That's what they're like. One to the other to the other, all fake flowers. Looking for that nectar. But they've rejected the only one. They've left it outside. They've, they've left the outside, it outside. 
So there is a false hope. So the summary of similarities that we have between them is only really three. Hope is ignited by faith. It's sustained and increased by prayer. It's motivation for life. But you can have faith in something that's false and you can have hope in something that's false. The difference, they differ in a couple of ways too. They differ in their foundation. Faith is founded solely on the veracity of God. Faith is founded only in the truth of what God says, in his teachings, in his word, to understand his character. Faith is found solely there. Hope. Hope is something that's received. It's something that's enjoyed by our conformity to his word. See, the more we believe the word by faith, hope grows by acting on that belief. You see that when God commands this and we believe it and we act on it. Now, I have to tell you something. It's, it's very easy to do something that God has said. You know what's very difficult? To not do something that God has commanded is wrong. That's hard. We struggle with self-control. We struggle with self-control. To do something is not too difficult. But to withhold ourselves, that's difficult. We struggle with self-control. Just as sin weakens our faith, so does it naturally affect our hope. Remember what I said? You can't have hope without faith. You diminish faith, you diminish hope. The two go down together. Okay? First is faith, then hope. It follows. Okay? In short, faith is founded on God's word. Hope is founded in our conformity to his word. Okay? The second point is they also differ in their character, in their nature. Okay? They differ in their character, in their nature. Faith is actually a virtue. Faith, well, see, the absence of faith is sin. Right? The Bible speaks about that. It says, Whatever, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So faith Faith and the opposite of faith being unbelief is sin. But hope and the opposite of hope is despair. See, without hope you have despair, but without faith it is sin. They differ in their character, in their nature. We know that also because in the scripture you actually see Jesus praising those with great faith. Oh, I have not found so great a faith. No, not in Israel. Speaking of the centurion who told him, just say the word and my servant will be healed. Even to the woman who, unbelievably, didn't take offence to being virtually termed a dog, he says, woman, great is thy faith. Be it according to, um, as, even as thou wilt, he says. But then he speaks to his disciples and what does he say? Why are you so fearful on that water with little bits of waves that's tossing the boat up and down? All right, it might have been tossing the boat several metres in the air. But why are you so fearful? Didn't I say we're going to be going to the other side? I said at the start, we're going to be going to the other side. Why are you so fearful? Why are you so unbelieving? Are you of little faith? So it's praiseworthy. So there's a distinction again. So faith is a moral virtue, right? While unbelief or the antonym is a sin. Okay? But hope is a blessing that we receive. Hope is that blessing that we receive. It's that which we rejoice in. Speaking of the salvation of the Lord King David gave a prophecy of Christ. And he said this, Therefore did my heart rejoice and my tongue was glad. Moreover also my flesh shall rest 
in hope. It's that which we rest in. See, hope is passive. It's passive. It's something that we receive. But again, it needs faith to grow. So, we have the opposite of faith, unbelief being a sin. The opposite of hope is despair. And it's a curse. It's a curse. Thirdly, they differ in what they hold as their object. I hope this is not too much over your head, but this is a wonderful understanding of the distinction between those two, but also the similarity, the link, why we are saved by hope. Faith has respect both to good and evil. It embraces its view in both heaven and hell. It trusts in everything God has revealed, past, present and future. Make sense? So when you're reading something in the scripture, faith believes what the scripture teaches, good and bad. Okay? It doesn't matter what it is. But hope, hope is different to that. Because hope is concerned only with good and only with that future good. Only with good and only with the future good. It doesn't concern itself with belief. Remember? The devils believe God and what? Tremble. Do they have hope? No, they don't have hope. There is no hope to that, that which is fallen. There is no hope to the devil. No hope whatsoever. Matter of fact, they had a real concern within themselves when Jesus actually came and he healed the, um, healed the person of, of the devil within him and they says, have you come to destroy us before the time? See, they know that there's a time. They don't have hope. You know, it's no coincidence that Dante in his great poetic dirge called, um, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Inferno, where he actually speaks about the gates of hell and a sign above it saying, Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. There is no hope in hell. There is none. So we believe that by faith, but we don't hope in that. Hope is concerned only with the good and only with the future good. Okay, so now you've got those couple of distinctions. You've got the similarities between hope and faith and you've got the differences between hope and faith. So they hold that as, um, as an understanding. The next portion of the Bible and the text that we're looking at in the third point for our sermon this morning is eternity ends hope. Eternity ends hope. Have a look at verse 24 of our passage in Romans chapter 8. It says, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, what do, why doth he yet hope for? For if we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. It's speaking about a time, yet future, and it's speaking about eternity. Everything that goes before that refers to the creation groaning and travailing until when? Until the manifestation of the sons of God, until the appearance of, well, the redemption of our own bodies. It's speaking about that which is eternal. But eternity ends hope. For what a man seeth, what does he yet hope for? Once it's realised, what does he yet hope for? What have you got to hope for now? In the wonderful story of, uh, that, uh, we, uh, that John Bunyan put together, Pilgrim's Progress, you actually discover something very interesting. You, you have read the account of Christian. Christian is the individual that went on this, on this pilgrimage, for, for lack of a better expression. And on his progress, we find that his story ends once he arrives at the celestial city. His story ends. But the story of his wife, Christiana, 
and her children begin. See, they didn't follow him. They thought he was mad, you know. They thought he was mad. Recognised that the city was headed for destruction. And he went on his journey. All his trouble he encountered in his walk ends when his hope is realised in eternity. All his trouble. And he went through a lot. He couldn't see the celestial city along his journey, but the more he walked by faith and hope, the closer he got to it, until he had it in view. Once he arrived, his story ends. History ends in eternity. History ends in eternity. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Verse 17 and 18. If you've never read the book um, Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan, I know that we've got some in the little bookshop at the back there. Wonderful, wonderful book. It's great to read. Great to read in the original, and I think we've got it there in the original because John Bunyan just has a beautiful, beautiful way of words. Not bad for an unlearned man, huh? Not bad. He was a tinker, not a scholar. And yet you read his words and you think, how on earth did this man have such wisdom? He had the Bible. <laughs> he had the Bible. He had all understanding and all his teachers because God's testimonies were his meditation. He believed the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 17 and 18, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen... But at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Have a look at that. Our sufferings are a light affliction. Light affliction. This is coming from Paul. He understands what sufferings are. And it works in us a far more exceeding weight of glory. Interesting. Of those that would not receive deliverance, they would obtain to what? A better resurrection. Far more exceeding weight of glory. And clearly our hope is that next part where it says in the things which are not seen. Our hope is in the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Are you struggling? Are you suffering? Are the things that are going through your life at the moment, things that you're troubled with, things that you're trialled by, they're temporal. They're temporary. They will not last. You will not be bringing your sufferings into eternity if you are in Christ. You will not be doing that. Because, because in Him there is all hope and all joy and all glory. It's light affliction. Count it that way. Count it all joy when you go through these difficult times. Why? Because, guys, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's the life of the Christian. That's our life. We walk by faith, not by sight. Remember what we said in, the text says in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, the first verse, when it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for. It's the substance. It's the foundation of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. A point within this point is eternity ends hope for everyone. Eternity ends hope for everyone. It's the realisation of all that we have hoped, whether true or false. What I can share with you absolutely is that it will surprise and amaze all people. 
it will surprise and amaze all people. For those that know the Lord, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. We will be surprised. We will be amazed. But there are those who will be surprised and they will also be amazed. And hope will end for them also when they realise where they're at. Turn your Bibles to Psalm chapter 73. This is a a practical lamentation or a diary entry. You could look at it from the king. I think it's King Asaph. And... And we're just going to, I won't read the whole, the whole psalm, but I will read a portion of it to give you an understanding of where he's coming from and the struggle that he has. But it'll also give you an understanding of a number of things. Number one, you know, if you've ever questioned within your mind why the wicked prosper, he did too. And he gives us an understanding and an account. Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain. And washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus. Behold I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this. It was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou casteth them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors as a dream when one awaketh. So, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. You see, the wicked have hope. And I'm going to refer to them as the wicked. Who am I referring to as the wicked? I'm referring to all those who know not Christ. All those who have stood already against Christ. All those who are taking idolatry as their God. All those who are selecting and choosing according to their own personal lusts and desires. These are the wicked. There may be some here. There may be some here. There may be some that are going to be listening to this discourse. These are the wicked. They've they've made their plans. They had hoped that they're going to escape the snare that they've laid for themselves. They thought they might be able to watch the time approaching and escape just in time. They think they have plenty of time. Some have heard the gospel of their salvation, but have determined that it may be too early. 
See, they desire thirst to fulfil the lusts of their own flesh. They want to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. When the time comes to enter into eternity, uh, they believe that they will then have both the presence of mind and the opportunity and the desire to accept the gift of Christ just in the nick of time. You notice what I said? They believe that they will have the presence of mind. There's no guarantee of that. They believe that they will have the opportunity. Opportunity requires time. There's no guarantee of that. And they believe that they will have the desire. We know that it's the Spirit of God that moves within them and we know that there is an appointed time for salvation. Today is the day of salvation. You hear the gospel, you hear the word of God. As our brother Wanganine actually mentioned the other day, if you hear the word of God so clearly here, what hope have you got of hearing it out there? There may not be the desire. There may not be that conviction. It's It's like they see a candle of their life burning. They see the candle of their life burning and, and they believe that this candle's not going to go out unexpectedly. You know? they, they, they believe they, they've set it, they've put it in a, in a dry place and they'll check on it from time to time to ensure that it's still alive. You know? that it's still, and that they still have, well, time, I guess. They don't think that a window might open and the wind might blow the candle out. They don't think that that's possible. Well, they believe that they'll seal that window and they'll seal it up with good works. That's what they'll do. They'll seal it with good works. Good works, that'll save me. Modern buildings today are fitted with sprinklers. The fool who has ignored the day of salvation is like the man who sets his candle ignorantly under a fire sprinkler. Strange, isn't it? That's what they do. The burning of that own candle is what's going to extinguish their flame. Taking no chances, the fool takes his lit candle and places it in a tall cupboard with no light, no window, no risk of water, no air. This fool thinks that doing nothing will save him. No decision, however, is a decision. You can't sit on the fence when it comes to Christ, you see. No decision is a decision. I'll come to me, I'll come to you, I'll seek you out when I have a more convenient season. Does it remind you of anybody in scripture? It does, doesn't it? Didn't Felix say that? Then we have the other one who says, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Do you reckon he's close? No, he's infinitely far from Christ. Infinitely far. Almost. An almost Christian is not one. Everyone who decides to watch his candle daily does not consider that God can take a scissor to his wick. See, it's God that does the work within people's lives. Surely God has set them in slippery places. That text that we had a look at, did you see that? Did you see that? God has set them in slippery places. Do you know something that's really interesting about a slippery place? Your own, your own weight actually helps the fall. Your own weight. It's like a man standing on a wet tin roof on gumboots. 
I don't know if you've ever been on a wet tin, on a, on a tin roof. You know, it's fantastic when it's bone dry. So when it's hot, I've been up there. When it's hot, the best thing to wear on your feet is gum boots. Just pray that you don't have dripping sweat. Because you will go and your weight will take you down. And that's exactly the same with those that hope in fairyland. So eternity will see an end to this hope. Proverbs 10, 27 says, The fear of the Lord prolongeth days, but the years of the wicked shall be shortened. The hope of the righteous shall be gladness, but the expectation of the wicked shall perish. They will find an end to their hope in eternity. Proverbs 11 says that transgressors shall be taken in their own naughtiness. When a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. There will come a time, and Daniel speaks about it in Daniel chapter 12. He says, Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars for ever and ever. See, one, one thing really escapes me. There's a, there's a lot that I really love to I really love to study things and I really love to to understand things. And it's a and it's a real joy to dig through things and to bring things out and to see the truth of the matter. But I can't understand how someone can sit under the gospel and not respond. I don't understand. It's something that I can't comprehend. I don't understand how people move in the direction that they move when you see so clearly where they're going. Why is it that some people can watch them take their walk off a cliff, but they themselves don't see it? You understand that this is a work of God. People aren't going to be, aren't going to be saved without you praying. They're not going to be saved without you petitioning God on their behalf. Christian, that's your role. I'll talk more about prayer next week. But for now, understand, that's your role. Blindness. The Bible says about Israel, blindness has happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. But at that time, we're speaking about that tribulation period where that suffering is going to have to increase their hope. So the lost believe in eternity. They do believe in it. They do believe. They want to leave a legacy. You've seen that. I want to leave a name for myself. I want to make a name for myself. You know, streets are named after them. Cities are named after them. Stadiums are named after them. They believe in eternity, for sure. Only problem is the Bible teaches that they're going to be forgotten. They're going to be forgotten. And that is probably the most heart-wrenching part of eternity. Because they will be forgotten. Proverbs chapter 10 verse 7 says, The memory of the just is blessed, but the name of the wicked shall rot. The name of the wicked shall rot. There's a story of a lady who had a couple of boys and she was dying and she was encouraging them to come to Christ, to come to the knowledge of Christ. They wouldn't believe and they wouldn't trust her. And, and, and she said to them, Please know my heart bleeds for you. My heart is poured out for you. I will love you for as long as I live. But unless you accept the saviour of your souls, my Lord and my King, for your salvation, there will come a time that I will forget you. Impossible to think of a mother forgetting her own children. But the name of the wicked shall rot. 
And this is a grief to ourselves. And that's why we pray for those that we love. That's why we hope for them. And our hope lasts for as long as we are alive. But we have to have that hope. See, for as long as the candle of their life flickers, there is hope. There is hope then. The last point. Joyful expectation. In the last portion of the text, verse 25, it says, But if we hope for that which we see not, for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. There seems to be no greater blessing than patiently waiting for the thing that you've hoped for. Patience is a virtue. It's a virtue that seems to be disappearing at a rapid rate today, you know. Patience. Patience. Do we with patience? Now, the impatient godless, they don't have patient, patience. Today, we, we don't want to wait for anything. We want fast food, fast cars, fast women. We want to get rich quick. We want to grow up quick. We want to die young. So many teenagers have actually lived a full life right before their 20th birthday. It's tragic what's happening to people today as fast as they want to grow up. You've got 10-year-old girls dressing themselves as Bratz dolls. Why do they want to grow up so quickly? Why do they want to deck their faces with all that makeup at that age? You know, why? What possesses them to do so? They have hope, but they want it now. They don't want to just be children. Young men are doing exactly the same thing. They don't want to have hope for marriage. They want the fruits of marriage now. They don't love, they lust. And that's their desire. That's what they're hoping for. That's what they're looking forward to. Confused, they don't want to receive the blessing of marriage. They want to receive the curse of fornication. And there is a curse. I'm sorry, but it has an effect. It happened with my parents. Maybe I wasn't exactly a curse. I don't know. (laughs) But their relationship, I can tell you now, didn't last. It fell apart. It fell apart completely. They became miserable in their own lives. I was not the glue to hold that relationship together. What was it? It was the blessing of God that would hold that relationship together. See, apart from Christ, there's no guarantee that my family would have held together. There's no guarantee. Remember what my God was? Remember what I wanted to make first? I wanted to make my business first so I could make my family first. But you know what? Whether I make the business first or the family first, I've still got it wrong. It's God that needs to be first. He's the glue that holds everything together. But we don't want to have patience. We don't want to wait. We don't want to... People that have got a call within their lives into ministry, whether it's a pastor, an evangelist, a, a missionary or something, they want it now. They want it now. You know? Right, I've been called for the missionary. Bang, I'm out there. I'm doing the work. I'm going to be a pastor and I'm going to do it now. And they don't want to wait. They don't want to study the Word of God to see whether or not they're ready. Whether they qualify. Whether they look the... According to scripture, they want to jump and do it now. They want to, they want to run through that traffic. I had a picture of a... So God restrains us. Do you know that? God restrains sin. Did anybody realise God actually restrains sin? We still don't understand why we sleep. Eight hours or whatever it is a day. Doctors don't have a clue why mankind sleeps. I can only hint that it restrains our sin. It's the very reason why we only live the ages that we live. You know, three score and ten years. 
It's the very reason why we only live a short life. Why? Because we don't want sick. Could you imagine Hitler living until he's 900 years of age? You know? Well, he might be the only one alive. You know, in the direction that he was going. You know, looking for an Aryan race and he wasn't an Aryan himself. So, it's like a young child holding their father's hand at a busy highway, but insisting they let go so they can go and play in the traffic. And that's what people do. They don't, want to have, they don't want to be patient and wait for the right opportunity to make that move. King David was a lad when he was anointed to be king. He was a lad. He was only a boy. And the Lord anointed him to be king. And what did he do? He, he rose up and returned to feed the sheep, knowing that through whatever work that was being done there, God was preparing him to tend to his flock. So we have at least a decade that went past before he was anointed king. Joseph, remember Joseph? Joseph was that favoured son of Abraham. He was 17 years of age when he told his family of the dream that one day his entire family will honour him. They will fall down on their knees before him. All his brothers were incensed at the idea. He was 17 years of age. 22 years later, he was 39 years of age, and that's exactly what happened. He was 39. 22 years went by. And there he stands as the governor of the world empire of the time. Everyone bowed their knee to him, except for Pharaoh. That was his dream. Moses knew at the age of 40 that God had sent him to deliver the people. He tried to preempt that, remember? He actually struck a man down who was arguing against one of his brethren, expecting that they would know, according to the, according to the book of Acts, that God had sent him to deliver Israel. But God ended up sending him into the desert for 40 years. 40 more years went by. Patience, brethren. Patience. With hope. We are patient. We be patient in the good things of God. If we hope for that which we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Brethren, when we are saved, there are some things that we are to do immediately. There are some things we are to do immediately. Obey the Lord in baptism. Be baptised. Share the hope that is in you with those that are around you. Read the word of God and pray. Those four things... And there might be a couple of others, but those four things, I can tell you now, you do that immediately. Everything else then comes with patience. Trusting, obeying, believing, sharing of the blessed hope, not just to those that ask you. Those who you already recognise don't have any hope. It's not hard to find them. I'm telling you today, it's not hard to find them. Okay? You can find people that have no hope whatsoever. All you have to do is watch what's going on in America for the elections. Seriously, have a look at the two candidates that they've got. What hope do they have? I've lost hope in America, I'm afraid to say. I've lost hope. And if I was hoping on a political leader to deliver me, and a lot of the world is, and a lot of the world will get a political leader that will lead them globally. We know that. But you see, they're all seeking after one man to save them. But they've rejected the one man that died for them. few points just on the close and I'm only going to give you the scripture references and, and you can look them up for yourself but hope is sourced in scripture 
Romans chapter 5, verse 2. It abides for all time. It abides for all time. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 13. It is, a, it is an apparent state to be testified of. 1 Peter 3.15 It's a motivation to purity. 1 John 3.3 3. It turns our worst fear to joy. Proverbs 14.32 You can also see Acts chapter 24 verse 15. It's an anchor for the soul. Hebrews chapter 6 verses 18 to 19. It is motivated by the resurrection of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 3, chapter 1, verse 3. And it anticipates the coming of Christ in that blessed hope. In Titus chapter 2, verses 12 to 13. It's impossible to live without hope. It's impossible to live without hope. My prayer is that it's not a false hope for you. My prayer is that your hope is anchored in Christ. Then await that blessed hope. And rejoice in Him. And share the truth of what you've heard. Share the truth of the Gospel. Share the truth of everything that's been done within you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank You for the very words of God. We thank You that even through a couple of small verses, dear Lord, You can bring forth a wonderful treatise on Your Word, what You teach that we might rejoice, dear Lord, in the hope that we have, that we might have joy in the hope that we have, that we look forward, dear Lord, to that good end within our lives. I pray, dear Lord, that each one of us would read the Word of God, that we may have a foundation for our faith, and that having that faith and that faith growing, we can also grow in hope. Father, despair, dear Lord, seems to permeate even the brethren these days. But let them know, dear Father, and show them, dear Lord, that they have a final authority within your word, that they can know the word of God. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with my brethren here, that even in this small church family, dear Father, we can enjoy the hope of Jesus Christ and share what we have learned and grow in you. Lord, I praise you for this time. Be with us, dear Lord, as we separate. Be with my brethren, dear Lord, as they seek you and seek your face. If there are those, dear Lord, that don't know Christ, but are considering a false hope, dear Lord, I pray that you would prick their hearts, that you would give them today, this day, an understanding that salvation is attainable when it is available. I pray, dear Father, for your work within their hearts and lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.